0: This is the Spirited Talk podcast. Conversations and much more about connecting with our friends and lost ones
1: in the spirit world. And now, here's your host, Trevor. And welcome along to another episode of Spirited Talk, being recorded in my sanctuary at my home here in Shevington in the north of England. Today, my guest is one of the most influential mediums, teachers and mentors that I've been privileged to know. Who is it? Stay around and find out. For over 20 years I've been exploring, developing and unfolding my own psychic and spiritual potential. I started this incredible path as a skeptic with an open but questioning mind and a willingness to listen and learn from some of the world's finest teachers on the subject. Now, after thousands of hours of study, practice and trust, I'm an evidential medium, able to communicate with those the other side. Through the Spirited Talk podcasts, I aim to continue my learning through conversations with guests, sharing their stories and knowledge on their specialist areas of spiritual and psychic work. Join me now as we continue on this amazing mission to bring the two worlds a little bit closer. Before we introduce our guest for this episode, may I remind you to subscribe to Spirited Talk on iTunes or wherever it was you sourced this podcast. To find out other ways you can become part of this community, visit our website at spiritedtalkpodcast.com and spiritedtalkpodcast is all one word. Now it's time to introduce our guest. My guest for this episode is someone I'm proud to say was probably the most influential medium, teacher, and mentor to me back in my early days of developing and unfolding. I first found out about this man when I was sitting in my first meditation circle back in 2001. My circle leader at the time talked to me about him and told me how he had a reputation for the highest standards of mediumship and teachings on the south coast of England. His reputation was one that everyone I talked to about said was the best. I discovered that to sit in one of his circles, you had to have taken particular workshops that he ran to give you the knowledge and experience required. I duly took those workshops and gained the access to one of his coveted circles, sitting once a week in the basement of his mind-body spirit shop in Poole in Dorset. My guest now in his forties, has been working with spirits since his childhood and took his first spiritualist service when he was just seventeen years old. Most of his mentoring came under the late Glyn Edwards, who went on to become one of his best friends before passing to spirit. Glyn himself was a student of Gordon Higginson. My guest attended the Arthur Finley College many times over years for training and study. He is a Reiki practitioner and master, tarot expert, trance medium and runs his own very busy courses teaching all aspects of mediumship, healing, tarot, meditation, trance and much more. My guest has had a huge influence on me, as well as being a, a wonderful friend. And in many ways, he still continues to be my mentor. He sets such a high benchmark of standards that I feel few, if any, ever come close to for me. So it is with great pride and indeed great honour, I'm blessed to be talking to him here today as a guest on Spirited Talk, Mr Mark Stone.
0: Hi, thank you for having me. It's
1: wonderful to be with you. And my pleasure, my pleasure. We nearly didn't have you. And I have to say for the uh, records, I wanted Mark to be the first ever guest on this uh, podcast, but you had a bit of a crisis going on at the time.
0: Well, I, I got quarantined in India during um, the beginning of the lockdown for COVID-19. So unfortunately, I, I had a bit of a, a difficulty uh, enjoying any of my holiday whereas we were stuck in a hotel and then had to obviously self-isolate uh, when I got back from India as well. So we didn't quite get uh, the spiritual experience, but plenty of time to
1: reflect at least. And somebody in your party had co- um, the COVID, did they?
0: Yeah, un- unfortunately, we made international news because uh, one of our party was diagnosed with COVID. But then the hotel and the travel rep that we were with um, colluded to say he was negative to get rid of us because the government had told them to isolate us and they didn't want to. So they put us on a plane when he had a positive statement and we were all hoiked off the plane um, marked as quarantine breakers and that we were doing it deliberately when we didn't do that. And uh, yes, it was a bit of a drama. There's uh, a good uh, after dinner story in there as well with everything that went on. But um, we we all got through it and eventually um, we got home and then some of our party uh, didn't get home until after Easter. So they got there for another two weeks uh which was a bit concerning but everybody's back now and, and everyone's safe and well which is the main thing and the and the chap that was ill um the Indian doctors took care of him really really well and, and helped him through because he he really went down very hard with it so um you know I've seen firsthand very much how quickly someone can um succumb to it and luckily um, he and his, his partner and everyone else managed to get home safe and sound, which is the main thing.
1: So there must have been a point, I imagine, during the holiday where it went from being a holiday or a break to a sudden start, oh, how long are we going to be here? And then a panic. How do we get out of here?
0: Only after day four uh, that started. So we were supposed to be there for two weeks. And, uh, yeah, after day four, it, it, it when he went, when he became ill – because we'd, we'd been questioning whether to go. And we were told by the travel company, oh, there's no problems. The foreign office have got no issues with people traveling to India. There's virtually no COVID in India. Um, of course, if you want to not go on holiday, uh, that's fine. But you won't get your money back or anything. And um, so we said, well, if the, if the risk is low, we, we've saved up to go on this because it's a lovely trip. And, uh, and of course, very soon into it, he became unwell. And, and then it all just kind of fell apart. Not, not his fault. You know, anyone could catch whatever. You're in a plane. Air's been recycled everywhere. And um, so what was nice was when we were first told about being quarantined, we were quite free at the one hotel. So we did a few meditation sessions. And what was lovely out of that, one of the older members of the tour um, said, oh, I only came to sit in on this meditation because of something to do, because there's nothing else to do. And after a couple of sessions, he said to me um, just before we were hopefully traveling back for the first time, he said, I'm going to carry this on at home because he said, when we sat and meditated, I found a piece that I haven't known before. And so he's going to carry that
1: on when he gets home. So that was a, that was a lovely compliment. That was really nice. So it's good to have you back and safe and well. That's the most important thing. Now, then, uh, first of all, tell us where you are.
0: I'm down in, in Poole. Um, so Bournemouth and Pool down on the south coast. So I'm in an area called Parkstone, which is in between Bournemouth and Poole. It's a lovely area here.
1: Yes. You deserted the north, I believe. Uh, an incredibly long time ago,
0: I, I left, I was born in Blackpool, and uh, my mum and grandparents came down to Bournemouth in 1978. So uh, we went from from the North Coast to the South Coast um, into Bournemouth. So yes, yeah, so that's a long time. So Although I'm I'm born in the north, most people would probably consider me a southern softy.
1: Well, I get called that all the time. Uh, <laughs> still, never mind. Uh, I'll always be a southerner. I think myself. I tr- I tried to be a northerner, but by heck, I'm not making it. So, <laughs> in my introduction, uh, we talked about you, or you mentioned something about yeah. Here we go. That you actually did your first spiritualist service when you were around 17. Do you want to fill us yeah. how that come about? Tell us about how that come about when you first got involved with spirit when you were aware of it etc
0: well I was brought up in a spiritualist household so my mum and my grandparents were spiritualists so growing up everything to do with the spirit always was thought of as normal so if I saw anything heard anything felt anything there was no poo-pooing of it there was no telling you don't say such things there was always this interest um in it. And of course, that was our church. You know, I was named in a spiritualist church when when we were in Blackpool. And when we came down to Bournemouth, um, we used to go to spiritualist church quite regularly. There were, you know, a great number of of churches. There's still a good load of churches here. But we used to go a lot to Bournemouth Spiritualist Church, which is still in existence, and also Charminster Spiritualist Church, which is an independent, which um, I also um, go to quite a lot. And so we used to go to church all the time. So that was quite normal for me. And my grandmother used to show me lots of different things to do with, with the spirit world from being just a top. If anyone was not well in the house, she'd say, you know, put your hands on them, ask spirit to take it away, the pain away, the discomfort away. So I was brought up with that sense of of healing as, a, as just a natural part. It wasn't until I went to school that you find out that everybody else's families don't do the same. And then you kind of have that little thing like, oh, okay, so maybe that's not normal behavior even though to me it is normal. And so seeing and hearing things again, my mum tells lots of different stories of when I was younger. Um, Personally, I I have a very bad long-term recollection of different things. Um, Only certain things stick in the mind. But um, I started sort of sitting in different circles at churches, open circles, and then sitting at home a lot. I I was a great one for reading, getting lots of books, wanting to read everything. How old were you at this point? Oh, I was only in my early teens. Um, I started, the first lot of work that I started doing was doing psychic fairs, doing tarot readings, probably at about the age of 15. And and I, I'm very blessed. Our family often look younger than we are. So when I used to go to psychic fairs, who goes and has a tarot reading with someone who looks like a 12-year-old? It wasn't, it wasn't ever really busy for me. But what used to happen at the psychic fairs is I'd often be asked to do a demonstration of mediumship. And as soon as I do a demonstration of mediumship, I'd have a line of people come to the table for mediumship rather than necessarily a card reading. So so I used to do those, you know, 15 through to about 1920s, um, used to do the psychic fairs. And then the first time I got up onto a platform, I'd gone to see a medium who I was sitting with at the time and watch him work at um, Wimborne Temple of Spiritualism, which used to be in a little scout hub. No longer there. Uh, the the te- This church doesn't run anymore. And when we went there, I was they used to sit in a circle for a service rather than in rows. And of course, whenever I used to go to sit and watch a medium work or sit in church, I would often go off into the power. So I would often close my eyes and just sit and you know go into that space, which of course, when you're in rows, doesn't really show much because you just sat there with your eyes closed. But when you're in a circle of people, it's quite noticeable you've got your eyes shut because a everyone can see that you know your head's gone down and you're you're sort of not with it. It looks more like you're asleep. So I had to sort of stay very conscious and watching, and I kept hearing the spirit world say, "Come and play," which used to be the kind of invite that I would have to go and drift off with them. And I was going, no, 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 can't, can't come and play. Got to stay with it and watch what's going on in the room and kept getting it. Come and play, come and play. And in the end I said, no, look, you know, disappear, Uh, go away, not interested. Uh, Not as in polite terms as that, but uh, that's what I said. And they went, all right, see you later and then with that the medium turned around and said i'd like to introduce you to mark who's going to give a demonstration come back come back where have you gone where have you gone and of course they were they were still there they hadn't disappeared anywhere and and that was my first demonstration and then soon after that i was asked to to be at one of the churches and then it went on from there really so you know those those sort of early days um, were really interesting long time ago now next year marks 30 years of me working on platform and you know it's a lot and in my 20s i used to do about 200 church services a year as well as my ordinary full time job so every weekend i was either serving churches or going to see glenn at the college um if that was you know my later 20s when i met glenn so you know there was a, a lot that i was doing i was a bit I was a bit over-enthusiastic, uh, you know, the, the exuberance of youth makes you think you can do everything and go on forever at full pelt. And because of my great enjoyment of the spirit work, it, it, was, it was really a wonderful thing. You know, I really wanted to do as much as I could. Um, you know, I'd sat in different circles, gone to different seminars, um, all sorts of things, you know, even was involved in things like the Noah's Ark Society, which was wonderful for looking at trance and physical mediumship, so many different things, you know. It was um, it was a wonderful time, you know, lots of experiences, lots of things, and and again, you know, being able to serve the churches and go and work was, was just wonderful, you know, and still is. I still love serving, but I don't travel as much as I used to then because I've now got, that sort of core cool base of people that I'm teaching and working with locally. So I tend to stay closer to home rather than all the traveling up and down the motorways and the highways and byways of the UK.
1: I don't think I've ever asked, what, what did you do as a job before you became full-time at this?
0: Well, I my I started out um, in a bookshop in Wimborne, and then I went on to a bookshop in Christchurch, which I stayed at for many years, bookends in Christchurch. And my original desired occupation was actually to go on the stage and to do acting and singing and drama. And I, I took my levels then went on to a place at drama college and then realized that I couldn't stand auditions. And I hated the rejection of not getting chosen for something. So realized it was never going to be a good pathway for me. But my spiritual work had always been going on through that. And I stayed with working in book selling. Right the way through until we opened our center in 2002. So, all during that time, I'd worked with the books, which is my love anyway. And also um, at bookends, we had an art gallery, as you can see with pictures and things behind me. Actually, you probably can't do that if it's on the podcast, can you? See what's behind me. And, um, you know, (laughs) and I used to. And I used to work in the art gallery, so I had a love of art as well, which was all in there, and then opened the art centre. It was great. So, always been in retail of one form or another alongside um, the mediumistic and the spiritual work, and still am, because I still. Do retail uh spiritual products and things like that.
1: Just going back on that detail there, uh you mentioned that at some point you went to Stunstead College uh if Glyn was teaching. Just just iron that out. How did you first get to know about Glyn?
0: Well, I I'd actually gone to the college before I met Glynn. I went once when I was about eighteen and I'd saved up my Saturday job money um and went to go on a trance, a mental trance and physical mediumship week. And unfortunately, there was a bit of a joke that there's no F in physical. And that week, only certain groups were taken into then what was the dedicated physical seance room. And there was a lot of disgruntled people on the first week that um, that didn't get the full experience that was kind of promised. So I I'd vowed at 18 that I wasn't going back to the college because it wasn't the experience that I'd hoped for. And as I was leaving the college on that first day, I was sat um, on that first week, I was sat in the the lobby of the college in the hall, and a guy came in in a Hawaiian shirt, like a whirling dervish, and he caught my attention, didn't know who it was, because I was just literally catching a taxi um, back to the train station at that point. Anyway, years go by, and in my mid-twenties, I had a certain amount of difficulty with local mediums, um, not being particularly the most supportive or pleasant towards me in my work. And I got to a point where I was questioning whether to continue, um, whether to continue with the teaching, whether to continue with the demonstrating because of what was happening. And I had had a number of mediums that had actively tried to get me banned from local churches and all sorts of things. Um, which unfortunately people are people and some people, if they don't like you or they feel threatened in some way, they make you a target. And I was, at the time when this was going on, I went to serve down at Paynton Church, which is a lovely church, and a good friend of mine, Peter Egan, who's a wonderful medium down there, and at the time uh, was also teaching um, at the college, up at the Arthur Finley College with Glynn. And he said, you know, you really need to meet this man called Glyn Edwards. He He'd really help you. He'd really support you, and and I said, oh, I don't really want to go to the college. I went years ago, and and I didn't feel necessarily at the time it was right for me. So Glynn was luckily coming down to the Axminster Awareness Centre um, about a month after I'd had this conversation with Peter, and so I I went and booked on to this weekend and saw him demonstrate, and he came to my mum with a message from a grandmother with a brilliant message, with a remarkable message for her. And the workshop, everything in the workshop was kind of the way that I thought about things, felt about things. So it was encouraging to see someone with such a, a well-renowned name and, and career behind with him at that point, that he was then speaking along the same lines, teaching along the same lines. And I thought, this this is right. This feels right. And so that was when I was about 24. And I then literally saved up all of my working money and my holiday. And I would go to the college because Glyn would have invite only weeks where he'd only invite certain students. And there were a whole load of us who used to go along at that time and study with him and work with him, um, who still are now teaching and working with mediumship as well now. And so that was, that was really strong for me. And then when I opened the centre in 2002, of course, when you open your own business, you kind of invest all of your time and energy. And often all of the things you do for yourself tend to go by the wayside. So in a, I asked Glenn if he'd come and teach at the centre on a regular basis, um, not only just to let other students have access to the wonderful teachings and, and all the wonderful things that we used to do, but also it allowed me to still have my time with him. And so he came down a couple of times every year from 2002 right away until 2014 when we we closed the centre. He then came and taught at my home here, and we carried on teaching together um, until the last time I talked with him was only a couple of weeks before he passed in 2015. And um, we were doing seminars for Sonia Driscoll up in Norfolk, and they were brilliant weekends. Um, with loads of other tutors, Colin Bates, Simon Key, uh, Lynn Cottrell, psychic artist, Eileen Davies, so many. There are probably lots more um, as well over the, over the course of time. But it was really wonderful, those seminars and having that chance to work and have such good fun uh, working together as well.
1: Yeah. He became, you're quite proud to say he became more than just a mentor. He was a personal friend to you.
0: Oh, t- totally. I mean, for the last sort of six or seven years of our, of our friendship, we used to be on the phone every other day. Um, we'd often talk about different things. If something was worrying either one of us, um, we'd, we'd ring the other and discuss it and talk about, you know, what was going on and, And all sorts of different things, you know, which was great. And of course, when he used to come down um, to the centre and stay, he'd always have his good food guide in hand. And he'd be saying, now, I want to go over and visit this area. And also, there just happens to be a nice restaurant or pub we can go to that just happens to be in the good food guide. So we'd go on these lovely tours of Dorset to places I didn't even know existed to go and have these wonderful walks. When we used to go down and do the weekend seminars at Paynton Church, um, we always used to go to places like Buckfast Abbey because he loved it there, he absolutely adored it. And so we'd go, we'd sit in the prayer room, we'd wander through the gardens discussing all manner of things. And it was just, it was a real it was a real pleasure, you know, real pleasure. And you could just sit and listen to the experience. And we didn't always agree on stuff. You know, we'd sometimes debate it from our different perspectives and still not come up with an answer. But it'd just be great sometimes to to sort of ask him about people that he'd sat with, things that he'd known, things that he'd done. And and often, you know, the jokes and the stories that were um, just would come out of nowhere. And the laughter, the, the amount of times where we'd just be in fits, mm. because again, when he used to come down to the centre, he'd often relax and his teaching style was much more laid back than, you know, when he might be at the college where you're you kind of kind of minding your P's and Q's and things. He'd be much, you know, he'd you know, just let go and enjoy the whole thing. But one of the lovely things that, that I always think of when I think of him is how he would always ask about every student that he'd met on the courses here. He'd ask how you were, how other people were, what they were doing, how were they getting on with their mediumship, were they doing well, what were they up to? And that, to me was showed how interested he was in the development of others and not just as some people are concerned about how they are and what their demos are like and what their work is like. He was always interested in what everyone else was doing and fascinated if they were learning a subject he didn't know about. He'd asked them to to teach him, to tell him, to show him. You know, So that was always a great pleasure to see him light up Listening to other people's stories of what they were doing as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, The first time I met him, I think, was at the college. He was a a tutor on one of the courses. I think it's fair to say that, uh, as I remember it, he kind of floated around. He was, (laughs) even though he was a big fella, he floated. He'd come in and he had a presence with him. Everybody, it's almost like if he had a cape, you wouldn't have taken any notice. You'd have said, Yeah, he wears a cape.
0: He often used to wear his, his prayer shawl. And so he would often glide around with like his cape and and sort of flapping the wings of the meditation blanket and things. So there was a there was a great there was a lovely theatricality as well that was that was there with Glyn, even in his demonstrating technique. One day we were we were I think it was when I was at Axminster, the first time I'd seen him demonstrate and Glyn would wonder while he was demonstrating and he would and he'd be gesticulating with his hands and and that wonderful timber of his voice. And I can remember him being in the middle of a demonstration and seeing him turn to a weeping fig tree in this center and and reaching out to it and going, what is it you're trying to tell me? And it and it just cracked me up because it was just like this this wonderful man's in his own world and now he's talking to a weeping fig tree. And it just made me laugh so much and There were so many occasions. Glyn would would break a lot of the rules. He'd get off a platform and wander and do all sorts, but he did
1: it and he he got away with it because he was Glyn. Well, of course, he was a student of Gordon Higginson and there was so much of Gordon reflected in him in his attitude my boy it was always my boy and he he had that oh like you said yeah this definite presence I think the funniest thing I always remember with him was at the college I found out that he was diabetic and he was sort of fussy over the food until it came to puddings he yeah. put it yeah he was throwing the sugar down him and I'm there like diabetic type 2 the same as him thinking you can't do that you're not allowed to do that and i remember when you had a course with him uh, we we were privileged to sit in a workshop with him you had the same problem he was scoffing all the cakes
0: well i have to say that i think a lot of mediums we have our vices you know you get some mediums with the nervous energy they're always smoking other mediums that they're always having a drink afterwards other mediums, it's food. I mean, when I used to go to the college on Glens Weeks and we used to sit at these refectory tables and to be served. And and for me, I was brought up because we had a hotel when we first came to Bournemouth. So I was very used to like catering food. You know, whatever the guests were having, we'd be having. And of course, when you'd have all of these dessert chocolate mousses and things to come to the tables, a lot of people on the weeks would not want them. And I'd go, don't say no to a pudding, I'll have it. And I'd often have six or seven puddings sat in front of me. So I might not have eaten much of the other food, but I'd have loads of puddings. And and Glyn was, was a terror. Even, even after he was found out to be diabetic, he was a terror for food. And and because he loved his food, you know, that was the thing that he loved good food and he loved um, that kind of experience, that very earthy experience of of eating and the pleasure that eating gives you. And I think that that sometimes, uh, and I think hopefully people will resonate with this, that sometimes when we're sensitive, we turn to something for levels of comfort and support. And so if we are under stress or duress, often food will be the thing we turn to, or drink might be the thing that we turn to, or smoking you know, might be the thing that we turn to. So we all have our own coping mechanisms um, with those things, I think you know. Again, we come back to all things in balance. And of course, if we overindulge, and even I think sometimes if we overindulge spiritually, we can end up going too far one way. You know, we can end up not being balanced, not being grounded, um, not living life. You know, you're you're here to live life, and part of life is is your food, your drink, your love, your addictions. Uh, the problems you have to deal with. So I think that the, it's one of those areas. And the, you know, he'd, he'd say to me just before sometimes we'd drop him off um, to the hotel. So can we just pop into MS? And he would get some biscuits, you know, some some you know low sugar, low fat or whatever they'd be. And um, the following morning he'd come to do the workshop, and I wouldn't even have to ask because he'd have that slightly waxy complexion that you knew that his sugars were not right. And, I'd, and at lunchtime, I'd say, you're feeling a bit better now. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, you had those biscuits last night, didn't you? And he go, how do you know that? And I said, because the, the pallor of your skin changes when you have too much sugar, I noticed. And, but that was Glenn bless his heart, you know, and, and he was a law unto himself. And so long as he, you know, he was okay and we kept making sure he was he was well enough, that was the, the main thing, you know. A lot of us that that were around him, especially after his illness, um, that happened sort of while he was at the college, about 13 years before he passed, he had an illness that then that kicked off the diabetes uh, within him because it was a shock to the system. And there was, you know, quite a few of us that were, were quite protective of him over the years because of knowing that the health wasn't as great as it should be. And so therefore, you know, we, we took extra care and, you know, we'd often nag
1: him, but the the nagging would be ignored. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I remember the workshop. Uh, he was uh, that you had, had him on, and there was—I well, don't know—twenty of us, I suppose, uh, sat in your classroom. Glynn was there, and one by one, we had to go up and do a little reading. And and you kind of felt intimidated because Glynn was just sat down behind you. So I stood up, and I was young then. I don't know if I even. Could do it, but anyway, I stood up and I said whatever to uh, some people. And I remember Glynn just putting his shoulder, his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Young man, you have such great potential. And I sat down, my head was like, Whoa, Glynn Edwards, the great Glynn Edwards told me I got great potential. True. It was five years before I realised everybody's got potential. It's what you do with it that matters. And I realised Glenn hadn't said anything of any significance to me at that time. Um,
0: great. It was the encouragement. You know, I, I can remember when I went on a first few weeks at the college, we'd always find, or I always found, that my demonstration would, would absolutely crumble to bits. And and I used to, and I, and I can remember one day, and this was after a um, Maybe a year or so of going to the college, and I got a particularly frustrating week where we were demonstrating, and every contact was painful, like pulling teeth. I honestly wanted the ground or the platform underneath me to open up, and uh, and just for me to disappear down the hole. And I was and I rang my mum. Mama. And My mum's very down to earth, and um, and I was I was bemoaning the fact of how I was struggling and how difficult it was on that week. And she said, do you mind if I make a comment? My mum is my best critic of, of mediumship. And she said, you're too in awe of him. And therefore you're feeling like you're going to fail in front of someone who is wonderful. She said, treat him like there's no difference, you know, that he wants you to be there and he wants you to do well. It's not a test. Just get up there and do what you know you can do. And following that conversation, we went into the lounge. He we, um, we was teaching in the lounge that afternoon. And he got me up straight away to demonstrate. And a chap had come in and said, oh, we've got a guest sitting in on the demonstration this afternoon. And, and he said, Mark, up you come. And so I thought of that and, and stood in his energy, in that power with him. And I thought, right. He wants me to do well. The spirit will want me to do well. I want to do well. Now get out of your own way and let it happen. And a link came for this chap right at the back. And and I said, I want to come to, to the gentleman and started to give this message from this lady that was there described her. And he said, yes, I know who that is. Yes, I know. Yes. And it carried on. And, and this lady was coming up and taking his arm. And yes, yes, yes. And, um, and it went on and went on. And then as it, suddenly turned Glynn said to me now who is this woman who is this woman that keeps saying to this man you're my boyfriend aren't you and laughing and it was Gordon Higginson's mother and the man who had come in to join us um was Eric who used to drive Gordon everywhere and and it was wonderful and it was it was such a it and when he came up afterwards he was he was really sort of you know um, giving me such nice feedback. And, and what it really proved to me is that often when we go into those teaching environments as students, whether it's in circle, whether it's in open platforms, sometimes we let the nervousness of, of the impressiveness of other people make us more nervous. And I think that whenever we're going to work, what we have to do is learn that the other world won't let us down. So we shouldn't worry about letting anyone else down in the process. Otherwise we get stuck in our heads and that's going to get in the way of our mediumship. You know?
1: Yeah. That's a fine balance though, isn't it? Because you are the same school as me where you have respect for certain people. um, Mm. And those people almost uh, ooze, respect. They almost ooze this uh, importance. And I definitely am one of those that of very much in awe of great mediums. Yeah. And I do get nervous in their presence. I think if I didn't, or uh, those that don't have that sort of thing, isn't there a danger that the ego takes over? Well, I think there's,
0: I think there's a level of how you treat people generally within that because when, you know, when I remember talking to Peter Egan, he said, you know, when you go to the college, listen, listen to what people are saying, listen to what they're doing. Listen to the tutors. Don't keep butting in about your story, because if you listen, you'll learn. And what I've noticed over the years is that some people seek tuition, but don't want to be taught. They just want to show you what they can do. and. You know whether that comes from an egotistical place or not. That that's up to the individual to decide for themselves. But what I think is important is that when you go, if you listen to people, you can you cannot have to put them on a pedestal because if you put people on pedestals, I can guarantee you at some point they fall off of them, and then your illusions are shattered about different things. If you recognize that every single medium is a person, just like you or I nobody is any better or any greater because they're a medium you know the culture of celebrity I think has affected mediumship because people are going oh my god oh my god they're famous well when you meet them they're, they're just quite ordinary quite happy quite centered um, sometimes people as you say maybe that ego of who they are what they are get sometimes in the way but I think if you if you're a genuine, If you're genuine enough to want to learn from someone and listen to someone, then you will honour and respect what they do, but not let it cast a shadow over your own mediumship. Instead, it will shine a light on your mediumship and inspire your mediumship. I always say to students, if you go and watch someone who's really good, don't sit there going, I'll never be as good as that, I'll never do that. You know, I can remember um, Ron Jordan, wonderful trance medium, told us a story once when we were at the college And he said one day he was sitting in the power and talking to spirit and spirit world said to him, what is it you want? What is it you want? And he said, I'd love to be as good as Gordon Higginson. And the spirit world replied, why not better than? Why not better than? And this idea that we limit the potential and everyone's got a potential. But again, it's how much we allow ourselves to go into that potential how much we allow ourselves to explore it and, and our own attitude towards ourselves will help or hinder and so if you know we need a certain level of ego god if we didn't we'd stay under the duvet all day with a bottle of baileys and never leave the house i mean that might be a nice option but if we didn't have a level of ego or a level of of confidence that comes from that ego side we wouldn't want to step out on those platforms and do the work we wouldn't necessarily have the confidence to read for people or work with people because we would be constantly self-doubting. Now, we are sensitive, so we do have those issues. We do have the drawbacks of am I good enough? Was that good enough? Um, You know, should I be doing this? You know, we have our good demonstrations where you fly and you, you can't put a foot wrong, it feels. And then the next demonstration you have, you might wish that, you know, the ground opened up and you couldn't make contact the other side. Of a bedside table, let alone the other world. But that's the natural part of, of the experience. We can't always judge our mediumship from within it. We have to just be the channel, be the instrument. And you know, if someone says, that was wonderful, wow, we might be going, well, wasn't good enough for me. But actually, is it your message? It's their message. If it's helped them, if it's supported them, then it's done its job. And sometimes I think we are far too critical of ourselves and also others in this movement. Mm. And that criticism, if we're doing that outward gaze at other mediums, going how shocking or how awful they are, or they're this or they're that, you know, or they're not a medium, they're psychic and all this, although those are all observations, if our mindset becomes so heavily gauged in criticism of everything and everyone else, then we are going to have that mindset about ourselves and equally torture ourselves in our development when it's already going to be a work that we know we have to persevere with in the first place. Let's not make it harder for ourselves by having an imperfect attitude towards what we're doing.
1: Okay, we've got to take a break in a few moments, but just to round up this little section, could you just briefly tell us how... Lynn Pastor Spirit, what was that illness he carried for so long? Well, he
0: was diagnosed, when he came to us in, in May of 2014, uh, or was it 2015, 2014, um, he was um, coughing and choking a lot. And I said to him, that doesn't feel right, doesn't sound right, and you need to go and get it checked out. And when he had it checked out, it was uh, he'd got esophageal cancer. And so he was being treated for esophageal cancer, um, and in the end of 2014, he was responding quite well to, to treatment and things that were going on. And then unfortunately, um, he then just a couple of uh, the week or so before he passed, um, he got a chest infection which turned into pneumonia. So in fact he, his passing was really through this severe pneumonia rather than necessarily the cancer condition which um, he had been, battling and doing well in that battle
1: okay we'll take a short break hello i'm neil bradley and i'm a spiritual medium and i listen to spirited tour podcasts while i'm driving to work hi gail Bittner here i'm a spirit medium if i
0: had to say just one word to anyone wanting to explore their potential it would be trust you're listening to the spirited talk podcast subscribe now to be part of the growing community go on your spirit knows it's right
1: do you know what's coming now mark let me guess what's that? basket oh Yay. my goodness listen you might have seen on uh, facebook today of course this is in the future so it won't be there but i've actually put out a competition to people i've explained what this basket thing is all about it'll take off eventually in the future um so we've put out a shout for some names for it. i think you put one forward today i have delving into the unknown i thought was quite pertinent well it, it pretty much is i put a few more questions in here today because the last few guests are taking some out so if you were in the studio you'd put your hand in take one out and you have to promise to answer do you promise to answer i promise to answer lord Um, knows what i'm letting myself in for but there you go well thankfully this episodes, this these episodes are being recorded for youtube so you can actually see the pictures so we have to be very careful that (laughs) is one of the where's the phone i'm just looking at myself there everybody does that don't they on these media, they they stare at themselves but the camera's there Uh, i know here's your question let's have a look drum roll (laughs) <laughs> none of the dirty ones have come out yet i'm really That's, thank heavens oh this is perfect for you oh what winds you up more than anything else oh i'm gonna be
0: on a soapbox aren't i um i think one of the things that i find most difficult um that winds me up from a spiritual perspective we'll do it from a spiritual perspective is when a lot of people that come to you asking for help or support, um, when you then spend that time and energy with them, um, and you know the amount of time I spend on phone calls and emails, and then you start getting told you don't know what you're talking about, you're not really helping me, you don't want to help me. And, and that's the thing that, that upsets me. It doesn't really wind me up. But it upsets me that when people reach out for help and you try and help in a in an honest and a genuine manner, that you then get sort of disrespect back. Um, the amount of times I've spent hours sending emails to people and don't even get a thank you um back because it's not what they necessarily wanted to hear, or it doesn't fit with with the belief. So that's probably one of the only things that that sort of you know upsets me rather than winds me up, because it's a case of you know if you ask for an opinion if you ask someone to how would they help you or how can they help you and it goes back to our previous conversation then you know have the respect of listening to that even if you decide it's not for you and go off and find someone else and um, recognize the fact that someone's taking time and energy and effort out of their day and this will be the same for for mediums up and down the country and we give that help and we give that time and just remember that, you know, we don't have to do that. We do that because we want to support other people and care for other people and give them that time and that energy. It's not paid for work. You know, it's, it's out of our own free time, our downtime, that we have those times. So those are the kind of things, you know, and disrespect to mediums. You know, sometimes um, I used to find at the college, we'd actually have to say to people, can you let the medium go and get their cup of coffee because they're not going to get a break. And, and people don't always, you know, consider the feelings of, of other people. They don't always consider online the opinions and the feelings of other people. And, and I always say to people, just be mindful of, of others, be kind, be polite. Just like we were saying before, it's the manners and the politeness I think that's, that's most important.
1: Just popping back on this story a little bit. Um, we mentioned Glynn, and we talked about Glynn being a student of uh, the late Gordon Higginson. You didn't get to meet him, did you?
0: I didn't get to meet Gordon in person, no.
1: No, but the key is you had, I, I believe in your teaching and Glynn's teaching, huge influence from the man. Would you agree?
0: Oh yeah, sure. I mean Glyn would often talk about things that Gordon would say and do and showed him and the experiences they had together because obviously they, they worked together for all those years. And and I think that the the way that, that Glyn was 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 helped and supported undoubtedly by by things that were shown and taught by Gordon. And and the same, you know, for me. A lot of things that that I started to work with, started to look at were very much influenced by Glenn, and therefore there was that influence of Gordon's teachings that came through it as well. You know, and and again, you've still got um, Martin Twycross runs the Gordon Higginson website, which has wonderful recordings of of Gordon speaking and teaching. So it's a wonderful resource for for mediums to go and listen to and to look at. And you know, I think all of these teachers that have been part of our journey one of our things is our, their legacy is us continuing to remember them and include them in what we're doing. And so, you know, when you hear people talk about the people that have mentored them or the people that have been important to them, it's keeping their memory and their teaching alive within what we're doing. Do you know, I've thought of another answer to that question as well, that question in the basket, probably a better answer. Never mind.
1: Well, you can go for it again. I can ask what the did, question again.
0: Let's, let's go for it. Yeah, because it's more what winds me up rather than what I'm sad about. What winds you up
1: more than anything else?
0: Well, from a spiritual perspective, it's often the way that the spirit world is portrayed in TV and media and films. And it's and I think it's what causes the most damage in our movement. Um, a lot of the fear that people have because of films that are said to be based on true events, based on true accounts, and, and over the years, I've met so many people. I mean, I love a good horror movie, but I can separate out what really happens with the other world and what is the fantasy and the creation of the mind. And so for me, in my in my early, my 20s, when Most Haunted started, I found that I used to get as a medium, I might be asked to go and see someone's house once a month, maybe something like that, where somebody thought they had a problem. The minute Most Haunted started, I was getting like 15 or 20 calls a week, people scared out of their wits. And and still today, even though there's, there's a lot of shows that are more sensitive to the involvement of mediumship, there's still a lot of sensationalism around things. And a lot of the, the horror movies are based not always on people that are spiritualists' experiences, but people that are you know preachers and whatever who've had these experiences ed and lorraine warren um are seen as psychic investigators but they're still preachers in america so they always talk about everything being demons and evil spirits and this kind of thing and i think that's what still to this day because i get so many people who watch those kind of things which is planting seeds in their mind and then saying well the spirit world are doing this and, and often it's not the spirit world it's the the imagination, the fantasy, the fear itself. So that's what kind of winds me up when those programs are uh, are seeding and feeding the minds of people, a very negative perspective of the other world. And that's still holding so strong. And that kind of thing really does wind me up. So I'd love to be able to say to people, you know, take all of that with such a pinch of salt because it's not what it appears to be. And it's certainly not the experiences over the years. All the houses I went to see, it was people's loved ones. Sometimes the bad energy in a house was the living. It was their energy, their mentality, their stress, their fear, built up in that house to a point where it needed just moving through and moving on. Nothing necessarily to do with the discarnate world. So, so those kind of things, that the fear of the spirit world and the fear that these programs still put in today more than ever um, and the sensationism that winds me up.
1: Yeah, I've got a great, I've just finished a book, um, re- reading a book um, by a local medium called David Holt, H-O-L-T. Um, and in here, in his last few chapters, he explains some of these myths a little bit more in detail. And I finished the book thinking I've got respect for this guy because he's really yeah. answered this sensibly and, and taken some of this nonsense that are out of it. But on Absolutely. that question, on that question though, Mark, our turn, Terminology has actually changed over the years. I mean, when we were starting out, did we have spirit teams? It's suddenly it's a trendy way to say my guides, my spirit team, and this that never existed, surely. Well, you know, we it it didn't it didn't in different ways. You know, people get
0: used to a terminology and so start using it more and more. And you know, sometimes people don't like the idea of using the term guides and helpers at all. And, and I don't mind any terminology. I mean, the, the friends that work with me in the spirit will say, think of us as friends. Think of us as the friends that you get to know. And for me, they become very much like families. So, you know, we, we use terms guides and helpers. We use, you know, I don't like the use of the word entity. I, I still don't like the use of that word because to me, it smacks of... Um, Supernormal films, you know, there used to be all these films in the 80s, the horror movies, The Entity from here. There never, you know, if you're talking often about someone's loved one, it, it's their presence. You know, don't say there's an entity in your house when it's someone's mother. I mean, if I called my mother an entity, I'd get a clip round the ear. I've no doubt. Um, you know, if I said if I said her or it, I'd probably get the same clout. So you know, there's they, this is when you know we use terminology and people often like impressive sounding. I think spirit team's quite nice. I think it's a nice way of thinking about mm-hmm. a team where you're all working together rather than putting someone on a on a pedestal again. Because guides, again, often tell us, you know, don't put us on pedestals. Don't worship us like gods. We're walking with you, beside you. You know, treat us like your friends. and And that's really the kind of the way to... To, to go with these things. So I don't worry about terminology so long as it's not used wrongly. Mm. You know, when people, one of the, the terminologies that's used so wrongly so much of the time is like transfiguration rather than overshadowing. And loads of people are going and sitting in circles where they're getting experiencing heavy overshadowing and being told they're transfiguring. Um, and it's not transfiguration in, in my opinion. And, you know, and so we get sort of things that are said to people and told to people. And and again, sometimes they're being told to people maybe to encourage them, you know. But again, the terminology and the conclusions people jump to very, very quickly in mediumship, I don't think is always healthy. You have to sit with an experience time after time to know what it's becoming, to know what it's leading to. You can't just jump to a conclusion and say, that must be spirit, that must be this. You know, oh, you've got a lot of energy around your throat. You must be a trance medium. They want to speak through you. Well, the throat chakra is also connected to clairaudience and that sense of hearing. So it may not be the, the wanting to speak. It may be that there's an influence to listen. You know, there's so many things that get jumped to it very quickly or desired very quickly, and we can't necessarily do that. We have to go along journey to find out what's coming
1: in what ways do you think your mediumship has changed over the years to now Wow
0: constantly changing and very and very different you know when I first started out in my teens I was very much like an uh, a clairvoyant side of things I'd'd I'd be able to see and describe and go through everything then in my 20s when I started to get more into my trance work I've noticed that rather than sort of seeing the other world out here and feeling and sensing, it became an internal, very internal, very class-sentient experience of the personality, the nature, the body, the whole experience as if I was becoming the other person. Even on a normal mental mediumship demonstration on a platform, that level of influence was, was there. And then it's continued to go through chops and changes. Every demonstration, Trevor, even after sort of nearly this 30 years, 28 years now, Um, 29 years of of demonstrating every service, every demonstration is different, which is the joy of mediumship. It's also the uncertainty because you never know what each demonstration brings. You can't rehearse a demonstration. You can only go, be in that right space, mentally, emotionally, physically, and then say to the other world, okay, how is it going to work tonight? Mm. And then be open to the influence and the way that it takes you whether you think it's a good, bad or indifferent service, it's always what it's needing to be and how it unfolds. And, and even now, there are things that I'll be in the middle of a demonstration and I'll go, wow, did that just happen? And I'll be, I'll be in awe of what, what just happened or what the other world were able to do or say or give. And it might only ever happen once and then never again.
1: That's the love. That's the joy. I've got here just one note it says uh, uh, to mention your passion for the philosophy and history of uh, spiritualism. Mm. So let's round it up into a quick question. How important do you think that is in modern mediumship?
0: I think hugely from the point of view of of our of our mediums who want to be church workers and platform demonstrators. And really I think any student of mediumship should look at the philosophy, should look at the history. Now not necessarily to turn back and say oh how the olden days were wonderful, but to understand where the progression of this has come from. And the philosophy is the message for everyone. You know, philosophy is often feared by a lot of people. I don't know whether the word philosophy makes them think it's got to be very high-minded, but often the philosophy is the message in a service that everyone will take home with them where not everyone can take a personal communication. Mm. And for me it's the other world's advice, their wisdom, the influence that can come through philosophy and the the broad knowledge um, is getting overlooked too often. You know, I hear from churches where they can get people to do demonstrations but can't take a Sunday service because they don't do prayers, they don't do philosophy. Mm. And the problem is our, our movement could fall in its current form because if people aren't being encouraged to look at those areas, you know, and to look at the spiritual influence. You know, you may not consider yourself an educated person. It doesn't mean you can't give great philosophy because you've experienced life and the other world will use that experience and that knowledge that's within you to to bring about a wonderful sense of philosophy, Mm. you know. And again, not everybody loves the – wants to go into the philosophy and loves going into the philosophy – but again, they often avoid it because they think it's something that, that's more scary to deal with or to, to connect to. Mm. Whereas I think it can be the most joyful and the most enriching part um, of our work. Because I'm sure everyone who's listening has had an experience when they're sat with someone and they think, I don't know what to say to them. I don't know how to help them. And then all of a sudden, words and thoughts come out through their mouth and they go, Wow. Mm. Where was that from? Mm. That's that inspiration. That's that influence that can come from the other world. And philosophy is a part of that inspiration and influence.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I've told people, um, some of my new friends uh, where we live now, this, and uh, they find this hard to believe. But years ago, I used to go to Bournemouth Spiritual Church that you've mentioned. I used to have a little notebook and pen in my inside pocket. And when one of the Potts brothers, it was Potts, wasn't it? yeah 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 when one of them stood up and give philosophy, it meant so much to me. I used to get so much from it. Didn't matter about the medium after that that wasn't important, but the philosophy, the depth of their knowledge, then that mm. communication was exactly what I needed, even yes. though I was learning to be a medium. that philosophy meant so much to me but yeah. they 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 i mean that's a wonderful church in itself anyway. In, my yeah. in fact, on that matter, I've often mentioned it, I think I was spoiled, um, down south because uh, I started off with Christchurch, which is now Spiritual Centre, which I thought was the bee's knees. I thought at the time when Phyllis was in charge and Peter, there was nothing better. It was absolutely beautiful. And then we had Bournemouth, not so far yes. away, Charminster fantastic little church being run there so spoilt I really was um i gotta i gotta sort of round this first part up uh, which is um, sad before we go could you tell us a little about you i know you used to have a store we used to sit in the store uh, well we actually sat in the basement with the wine and the blankets but you've got an online shop now
0: Yeah, I I still have my my online shop, which is mindbodyspiritonline.co.ukl.com. So we sell like Glynn's books and CDs through there. We do loads of incense. For those of you that are watching, you can see them in the background behind me. We do crystals, all sorts of things. So everything we had in our two-floor shopping center, I still do online. Um, We also have a download site for meditations and audios that's listening to spirit. So I still do all of that. And I still, when we're out of what we're currently in is lockdown, we also have some stuff at churches and at stalls as well. So I still have all that. I still have my retailer cap on um, even so, because again, this, the, the stuff that we had was just lovely and I've just carried on with it online. And even now as we're through the lockdown at the moment, I'm still trading, I'm still working, I'm still teaching online, um, doing these wonderful podcasts with people like yourself. So it's, um, you know, everything changes, but there's always another way, which I love, and that's one of the philosophies
1: of spirit. Everything will change. Nothing remains the same. And you mentioned there something which sort of ties this up very nicely. Uh, You said in your shop you've got um, some Glyn Edward recordings.
0: Yes. Yeah, we do. We, we have his, I'm still working on some of his old audios that we're converting for CDs. And um, we've got some of those CDs that are coming to you guys at Spirited Talk for
1: your competition winners as well. For the patrons. For the patrons. Patrons. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you heard that. That's, that's absolutely amazing. Marcus uh, chose to give us some uh, of Glyn Edwards recordings, original recordings. Have you produced them yourself?
0: Yeah, originally they were recorded in like the 1980s and 1990s on audio cassette. So I've painstakingly and lovingly gone through and edited the recording. As you will know only too well, Trevor, how much sound editing takes. And we've been uh, slowly, originally we were going to re-record them. Glyn and I were going to re-record before he passed. And unfortunately, his passing came and we never got the chance to re-record. So... We, we, I'm redoing a lot of the old audio work because there's some wonderful teaching um, and his books as well. And we still publish those and it's just wonderful to keep that, that information going. And that wonderful teaching
1: alive. I've got a few of his CDs in the back there that I've had off you. I think one of them is quite frequently used. Well, there's, there's, I've got two CDs from when I was down the south, uh, both on the same theme. I've got Glyn doing In The Power, and then I've got you doing In The Power, which is yeah. much cleaned up. It's much shorter and much more. Yeah, it's only an hour long. Glyn's, I think you need half a day to do his. But, but So I've got those two CDs. And in fact, yeah. I have to confess on the air, the student groups that sit in this room, that have sat in the power we've actually been sitting using your cd for some time oh, now um, i've edited it down because oh they call us softies from the south but they can't sit for an hour I, we can only do 15 20 30 minutes here before they get fidgety sitting, so, sitting in the power
0: that, that we do and that i still do with my group and even the online group we do um 40 minutes and when we used to do it in the in the sanctuary with Glenn, we'd do an hour to an hour and a half oh, yes. on Sunday. No. Oh, and yes. it was wonderful. You go like that, it'd be so quick. You think that can't have been that long. But again, it's that getting used to sitting that people need. They really need, I think.
1: Just before we round this up then, have you got a little message you could give to everybody?
0: Yeah, I would say to to most people, learn to sit for the spirit and be patient. You know, patience, they say, is a virtue you and in our unfoldment we can't rush to get anywhere and there's no point in rushing because you're pushing against flow learn to sit learn to listen to other people learn to absorb that knowledge that information search around from all different forms religions beliefs and and let yourself absorb all the different words of the spirit and then sit with that power and just let it all come in its own time really enjoy going and watching others work, being a part of others' demonstrations and other people's work. Celebrate it.
1: Thank you very much indeed for that, Mark. That was absolutely incredible. So ladies and gentlemen, that just about wraps this episode up. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, I would recommend you do it now. And if you want to take this a little bit further and really support this channel, go and check out our patron um, section on the website. My name is Trevor. Thank you for listening. I would like to finish this podcast episode with a big, big thank you. Our world is at war with the Covid-19 virus at the moment. I'm fortunate that I can stay indoors in the safety of my home. Many people in this country and across the world can. not And there are many more that although they could stay inside, away from the virus, they're choosing to go out and help others in the fight. My guests, my family and I would like to say a huge thank you to all those kind, wonderful people for all you're doing. Thank you to the doctors and the nurses, the carers and the cleaners, the paramedics and the emergency workers, the delivery drivers, the council workers, including the binmen, the shopkeepers, the shop workers, the utility workers, and everyone risking their own lives and going about their duties while facing life-threatening risks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.